It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hey folks, welcome back. It's another episode of American Loser. Am I talking slower today? Yes, it's because of our new sponsor, Clonopin. Um, <laughs> I'm teasing. No, uh, I am very tired. I've been running the gambit here. So this episode is maybe uh, maybe a day late, perhaps. But you know what? We're getting it out to you guys here. It's being recorded on a Tuesday, which is Lose Day. Dr. Tristan Vidrero is correct about that. It's supposed to be out on Tuesdays. It'll be out late on Tuesdays when Tristan doesn't drive to work tomorrow because he works from home now. All right. I'm, <laughs> I'm putting all your info out there. All right, Dr. Vidrero. Yeah, good um, things are worth waiting for, though. Absolutely. Um, now, he's uh, uh, Dr. Vidrero has a uh, he's he's actually a great doctor. Uh, he has a mammogram machine that uh, he keeps in a, a van in a parking lot of a TGI Fridays. <laughs> were you just saying a string of words that you kind of hoped made sense when you were done with it? Because I feel like that was the vibe I'm getting from it. We landed. So <laughs> <laughs> saying them big book learning words oh it's also true on that one but uh no he is a member of the founding losers too so we gotta love him uh this episode is free folks but we do have a great topic coming up for the end of the month over here if you guys want to join up with us for that as little as three dollars a month you can help continue to allow us to make this show we have to buy a certain person's love you... and by we i mean my father <sighs> and I. now my father is my delf of a dad lawrence patrick say hello to the listeners please hey everybody how are you doing today i know it's tuesday and you're missing us but uh, we'll get it to you late 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 your wednesday commute will be made there by you this go. because we we'll have be the magical the magic wizardry of the man behind the ones and twos the esteemed big kahuna <laughs> esteemed. esteemed i like esteemed. that that's right. Is That's it Kahuna good. Esquire now? Well, it's going to be. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. a- <laughs> How you doing, man? Oh, I'm good, pal. I'm good. You helped me out yesterday. I uh, was a guest again on Sam Tripoli's Tinfoil, uh, tinfoil Hat podcast. That's going to be a wild episode. We talked about some crazy shit that we've covered here on this very show. And they were into it. Oh, they, they were, were they were really into it, which was great. Because we had Kahuna was doing the uh, he was producing in the back corner over there, and then a couple of times we would catch him laughing, and then one time Kahuna was actually faster than their guy with looking stuff up in the corner on Google. See that it was we great. got the best. <laughs> uh, one sad part though, one sad part. Um at one point my dad walked in, realized that Sam was gonna go way, way long, and then we had to tell my dad to go home. So <laughs> I'm really sorry, Dad. All right. We publicly apologize, but now we're here. Correct. To record a, a proper. Oh, yeah. And okay. if you guys, if this is your first episode after uh, checking me out, uh, I had another appearance on Real Ass Podcast over at the Gas Digital Network with uh, Luis J. Gomez and Zach Amico. Um, it was a really great time, and I got to talk a little bit about some weird history stuff there, too. Um, so you guys are picking up the vibe here. We like weird things from history. Yeah. We like the uncovered things. Maybe we like story, the losers. Yeah. Too salacious to uh, uh, be true. It's not you know like I mean? it's our title or anything. It's absolutely. <laughs> what do we do, Cahoons? We put the spotlight firmly, firmly on second, second place. place. There you go. I feel like I haven't heard that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, This one's going to fit 
very much so in with the vibe here too. So I think you're going to dig it. Couple loser receptions, couple other things here. Oh yeah. Now, Dad, had you heard of today's topic before we had ever covered this? I have not. I have not. Set the zeitgeist. So the problem is this: this idea, this person was sent to us by a. I can't, I don't want to be rude. I don't think it's a former Patreon member, but it was a, a Facebook person who then was saying, "Hey, I love the show. You guys should cover this person." And then either. I didn't get back to them on time or I got back to them and said, we're going to definitely look at that. And I didn't do it when they wanted to, or they got Facebook flagged because the account no longer exists. So I don't even know who to thank, but oh, if so you're we out are there, covering Preston Tucker, <laughs> one, one of our mysterious, uh, listeners. Don't, don't give away end of the month stuff just yet. Wait, what? Oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not going. No. Um, You've only waited three years for that. Only just three. <laughs> and it's, it's a good topic come. too. That's <laughs> But so this one was recommended. You don't know who to thank, but we thank the mysterious. Yes. Um, the uh, the now no longer active Facebook user that gave us this topic. Thank you if you're listening. I hope you are still listening. Um, and if we lost you, come back, babe. Please. I can change. All right. <laughs> um, I'm going to say culture can have a big, big impact on people, especially pop culture. That's mm. fair to say. Absolutely. All right. For proof of that, you can see so many cases where a dumb kid like me say – for instance, has Irish tattoos on him, even though he's never been to the island before because he feels some sort of a weird cultural connection to a place he's never been before. So can you think of any examples of that you have in your own life, Kahuna? Where like I'm a poser, basically? <laughs> sort of a poser. Poser's definitely going to be there. Like the, you can see the way my face looks. I'm allowed to have some Ireland tattoos. I just probably, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have gotten the country tattooed on me. You know, I probably couldn't get away with that either, to be honest <laughs> with you. No, probably people couldn't see it either, but hey, it's all good. It's there, man. It would be like the kids who would wear the skateboarding clothes, but couldn't skateboard, stuff like that. But they felt like they should. They, I'm, I'm even going to borrow a term right now. They identified as skateboarders. <laughs> you know, okay. There you go. I identified as a stoner. There it's you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Larry Burke, you got anything for us on that? Nah, just, yeah. It, it's, uh, you can see how uh, through the years, uh, different things come in and out of uh, pop culture uh, fandom, if you will. And, Kids were always, uh, always, poser, I think, is a good good term for it. It needs to come back. Poser needs to come back in style. Um, it well, you get the, you get the white kid from uh, um, upper upper class uh, white suburban that's Wearing putting dreadlocks. on a, putting on a, yeah, putting, <laughs> putting on a ghetto vibe to himself, you know, that he, he bad, he bad. Yo, I grew up in the hottest streets. Okay, suburb boy. That's a, yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Down I, these mean Yeah, I grew up on the streets. Oh, Sesame Street? Oh, yeah. Not to give away, uh, not to go on a diatribe here, but in boot camp, my favorite part was when you found out where people were from. Mm -hmm. Because one of the first couple nights, this one kid who was just screaming, he goes, you don't understand. I'll go back to selling drugs. I'm from Camden. You can't stop me. Do you understand this? And uh, I was like, oh, you're from Camden, dude? He's, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know about it? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm from Jersey, man. It's uh, okay, cool. And then I was doing, a, um, they, I got made the port watch section leader, which is like the number four like higher up amongst the recruits. Mm -hmm. So we're in the office and they're going through his health record and it says Hamilton, New Jersey. And I was like, Hamilton? He's from Hamilton? Not quite Cam. This dude is telling me he's the baddest dude around. He'll go back to selling drugs. And it's like, uh, oh, what? I'm sorry. What gated community did you grow up in? <laughs> so that's a bad kind of, but then there's people that take on, they something influences them so much 
that their entire personality becomes based around it. It's kind of like an obsessive behavior trait. Uh, Mine is obviously MacGyver was a big deal, Dad. I dressed like MacGyver. I had the haircut like MacGyver. I needed to have a Swiss Army knife like MacGyver. I, in my mind, and my cousins will tell you, (laughs) all right, cousin Aaron Burke specifically will tell you that I I answer to MacGyver. Kevin MacGyver was my name. So- so it's more or less like almost obsession that we're kind of discussing. Right? Uh, that's a part of it. I'll tell you what. I'm going to – as we continue the story at the end, tell me if you still feel that way because I'd be curious what your take is on it. Okay. Because I think this guy's – first of all, he's a character. And then at what point does it stop being him role-playing in a character and he actually becomes right, the in thing itself? He is Are we guy. talking about L. Ron Hubbard? It's good. <laughs> <laughs> it was yesterday. <laughs> Um, but culture can have a huge, huge impact on you. So sometimes cultural appropriation is a compliment, like when composers would borrow music from one another. Uh, other times it could be totally insulting and laughable. And this story is about the classic American image of cowboys. Okay. That's kind of our knight in shining armor thing. That's our story. Like a Davy Crockett type thing would fit into that mold a little bit, right? Yeah. Individual, uh, take care of himself. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But there's... There's a vast difference between the Hollywood image of cowboy and the actual what went Real down. Real cowboy. Yeah. yeah. And somewhere in the middle is the dime store novels that created the imagery of it. I mean, we also think about this. A knight is uh, a knight in shining armor, a chivalrous guy in you know England. Or it was, uh, hey, this guy killed that guy. So uh, anyway, you get to sit closer to the king at the table now. So <laughs> there's, always, um, there's always a realistic way to look at stuff. And then there's to go through um, – well, and you, you pointed out a great thing, too, with Hollywood, with especially the early silent films, mm-hmm. which has a huge impact on today's story. Um, so in these silent films, uh, depictions of cowboys as the heroes, typically wearing white hats, carrying six shooters, rescuing a maiden in distress kind of a thing. Um, this particular guy is going to see these and he actually will change almost everything about himself to be seen as the hero of the cowboy films that he loved so much as a child. This is how a man that becomes known as Richard James Two-Gun Hart. All right? So Richard James Hart, pretty good cowboy name already. Okay? I, yeah. I just worked with a comic named Two-Gun Rocky Gun Dale Hart. Davis. That's a pretty good name too, right? Would I be familiar with this name somehow? Richard Two-Gun Hart. So first of all, he gives himself Two-Gun. Two-Gun. Uh, Not one gun, two gun. Two guns, right? Two gun. <laughs> this guy, this guy's double he's that bad. Or, um, <laughs> he's or that dexterous, guy. two gun heart. <laughs> so do me a favor. Normally, Kahuna likes to do a little research as we're going through the thing, and then he often finds some pretty cool stuff. The Don't. The, the harsh left turn on this one, buddy, is so good. That we did not allow Kahuna to sit near a window today because he will fall out of it when we tell him what the deal is. That's right. There's one right there. I can That's still it. jump. It's padding under his chair. It's not It's not a long fall. It's literally just to the floor. Okay, I'm ready for this. It has such an impact, these Western movies, these silent Western cowboy movies of the 1920s, will have such an impact on a young man that he changes everything about himself. And this is how Richard James Two-Gun Hart becomes a prohibition agent out west okay um he becomes the type of sheriff or marshal 
acts like the ones that would be in the movies that he loved so much. He dresses like them. He would don cowboy boots, a white cowboy hat because he's the good guy, right? And the bad guy wears the black hat. That's how that works. That's your uh, uh, shining armor knight versus the black knight kind of a thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? From King Arthur. Ninja versus samurai. That's like a- <laughs> that, like that, No, seriously. Like, like that color scheme is always something. Oh, yeah. Black and white. Uh, the, the light side of the force, the dark side of the force. It's always there, man. Um, and it's uh, he dresses like these guys. He's got his cowboy boots, of course. He's got a vest on, a nice little cowboy vest. He's got his trusty six shooter that he carries on a leather gunsling and belt and to be clear movies that he saw as a child became almost his entire personality as an adult and he would lead raids against bootleggers out in the midwest give me one second (laughs) he will get into legit gunfights okay he will make arrests of wanted killers and he'll also protect the peace just like his hero his hero was a silent film star by the name of william s hart he even takes his last name Whoa. Yeah, okay. William S. Hart, too, during the silent film uh, era, was a huge uh, box office draw. I mean, he was he was the big time. And, you know, we can, with the whole silent film industry, we can factor in right off the bat here our New Jersey connection because where was the capital of uh, the silent film industry? None other than Fort Lee, New Jersey. And really the start of it, came out of Edison's laboratory in Great Train uh, Robbery in Orange. The Great Train Robbery of 1903. It was the Buster Keaton one? Yes. Yeah. Was, was, wow. filmed, uh, was filmed uh, in New Jersey. Um, you know, so these William S. Hart silent uh, Western movies, uh, there was a whole genre, if you will, that that was a, a hugely popular uh, in the silent film era. Um, you had Gilbert Bronco, Billy Anderson, you had Tom Mix. Uh, and a lot of this stuff was actually f- shot and filmed for real on location in New Jersey, like on the, on the Palisades, uh, on, you know, across New York city on the Hudson, um, because you could send your whole movie p- staff and personnel, uh, across on a ferry boat from Manhattan over to New Jersey and yeah. uh, do all your filming and stuff right there in New Jersey. So that was a huge, a huge, huge uh, and uh, very popular uh, with the masses. I mean, this was the latest and greatest. I mean, to go to the movies. Uh, it's a big thing. Yeah. It, also, just a correction. It is not the Buster Keaton one. It's the it's considered the first movie. The, the Great Train Robbery. Ah, okay. That one was shot in Jersey. Buster Keaton's was probably shot in California. So, because I know that the the big thing too in there is that the end scene of The Great Train Robbery- Was is, considered like revolutionary. Yeah, Because the, the dude fired into the camera right. and mm-hmm. apparently scared the bejesus out of the freaking audience. <laughs> right. Which I love that story. And uh, The Great Train Robbery too, um, as a side note, that was the first um, multiple reels, if you will, rather than just these short little- these short little things. So that, that imagine was, being the piano player in a the theater for that. And like, oh, it's how long am I working tonight? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> right. There's actually there's a great scene. I think it's in Chaplin, uh, the the movie where Robert Downey Jr. plays Charlie Chaplin, where he's watching like a movie for the first time, uh, or like a flicker show. I think is what they call it, and it's them watching literally just a footage of like a train coming towards the camera and the audience screams because they're like, it's so real. Right, right. But I love that. But we laugh at that now. We laugh at that now, but yeah, like. But think about the first time you went to. Um, to a movie. The, no, to the, the uh, wearing the, the glasses. 3D glasses. The 3D, 3D glasses. glasses. Like people are. Oh, I remember you know, what it was. Yeah. It was Chicken Little from Disney. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, but it's the same type falling. of a thing. We laugh at that from, you know, 1903, but uh, we have our own experiences in, in our own pop culture growing up as a kid. That the first time you went to a, uh, a 3D movie. 100%. Little side note, too, just for a Jersey connection, um, Jersey's favorite son, um, Joe Pesci, um, is at the end of Goodfellas. There's that shot of him wearing the gangster hat, firing the gun into the camera. That is an homage to uh, the, the Great Train Robbery, which Scorsese uh, was highly influenced by. So uh, now another guy, like we're saying here. So first of all, it's kind of wild if this guy decides that he's going to essentially become uh, a a prohibition agent, work out west as a lawman, if you will. He's going to become the cowboy that he dreamed of when he was watching these movies as a kid. And that sounds pretty wild to add in a couple of details. The first detail is that while he was dealing justice out on the plains of Nebraska in his cowboy getup, okay, keep in mind, he's not even born in America, this guy. All right? Old Two-Gun, who, again, literally takes the nickname Two-Gun and the last name Hart from his hero, um, he's not even from America. In fact, Richard James Hart had been born in Salerno, Italy in 1892. Spaghetti yep. Westerns. <laughs> so, uh, way, way ahead of the time. About 100 years. About uh, No, less than 100 years. But uh, <laughs> um, So in 1892 is when he's born. And this future cowboy sharpshooter was Italian and immigrated with his family to the United States, settling in the increasingly Italian neighborhoods of downtown Brooklyn. By using the American version of his name and now going by James, James made the decision to run off from home and literally join the circus. Yep. So that would be about like the late 1800s? So he Early 1900s. Yeah, early 1900s. He was born in 1892 and Uh, now he's growing up in in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, yeah, he does literally uh, skip out of town and, and joins the circus. But the reason behind that is because his brothers got into a little altercation, if you will. And uh, he came in to help out his brothers and proceeded to beat the shit out of somebody. And needed at that particular to, point, it was- Needed to disappear. It was, <laughs> exactly. So, it was necessary to- uh, Now this is the story all about how- a little bit, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so anyway, he joins the circus, joins a geek show, starts biting the heads off chicken for money. Yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. That part I'm kidding <laughs> That's about. a loser stuff. He does run off and join the circus, though. That's 100% true. And he works as what is known as a roustabout. Now, Dad, I hear roustabout. I think that means a tough guy. Yeah, that's uh, you're you're a day laborer, will you? A roustabout is uh, hard scrabble, pretty much do whatever whatever needs to be done. You're going to be doing. I'll uh, dig ditches. I could yeah, pitch yeah. tents. I could dig a ditch and pitch a tent inside the ditch. You tell me what you need. <laughs> that's right. Old roustabout can get it done for you. But James does run off. He joins the circus. He runs off on his mother Teresa, his father uh, Gabrielli. Uh, James had been the firstborn when he ran off at age 16, so he's 16 years old when he runs off, and he left behind seven siblings because James was the first of nine kids, okay? And his absence was noted and felt by uh, the three uh, younger brothers. More on them here later, as you kind of alluded to, Dad, with um, him getting involved to uh, protect his brothers, if you will. Right. Um, Working as a roustabout for the circus means doing like the kind of the casual jobs, like you said, hard labor. But there's also the kind of cool thing here, because again, as we talked about on the Ripley episode, to say, oh, so-and-so ran off and joined the circus, it was seen as an insult or something ludicrous to say, because there's like no one in their right mind would go do that. But if you're a young guy and now you're all of a sudden able to see chunks of the world you're never going to see before. I mean, I've done, we're approaching the time period right now where I'm actually going to be able to legitimately say, 
I've seen more of the world doing stand-up comedy than I did from six years in the U.S. Navy. <laughs> so that whole join the Navy, yeah. see the world thing hasn't truly got, I'm one country away. If I can go to one country to do stand-up other than the United States. Well, there is, uh, there is a little here. of that to the circus. I mean, you're going to be out, you're doing more, if you're working for the circus, it's more glamorous working for the circus than it is to be uh, digging ditches at home. So you might Absolutely. be doing, you know, grunt work uh, for the circus, but at least you're traveling about and you're seeing the sights and, you're here today and gone tomorrow, and you're you're off on your on your own kind of a thing. It's a little so bit of an exciting life. You it's got like a little, a yeah. You got a little wanderlust or oh, totally. whatever. The um, now again, he's working as a roustabout over here, but in the and he's got to fit in. He's going to head out west for these circus shows. He's got to fit in with the other carny folk. Who my understanding is, according to biological textbooks, carny folks are uh, people with uh, small hands, smell like cabbage. <laughs> Um, is that true, Dad? Can you verify that? <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. Austin Powers taught me that. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> but uh, he's got to fit in with these people, and it's certainly not going to be easy for him to uh, fit in because he's got, uh, first of all, uh, he's got to lose this Brooklyn accent. And I'm sure his Brooklyn accent had a little Italian on it, too, on account of his mother being Therese and his father yeah. being Gabrielli. Drop the so, gun. Yeah. Take the cannolis. <laughs> well, that plays in a factor here, too, because especially around this time, Italians were seen in a poor light. Due to Jersey Shore being on MTV, um, the uh, I'm teasing about that part, but anarchist on the MTV film reel. <laughs> well, you remember you were in with us too. It was one of Uncle Paulie's episodes, Sacco and Vanzetti. Yes, and so Italians are coming over here now. The Irish at least speak English. The Germans at least speak English. Well, kinda. Yeah, so it, it's it, <laughs> very loose, <laughs> right? One dialect. Anyway. So now the Italians are coming over, and they're going to all the same churches as the Irish and a lot of the Germans and the Polish and everything. And then they're not speaking the same language. They look different. There's a, a totally different culture behind them. Uh, they keep to themselves. They're Great pretty territorial. Yeah, but the, <laughs> arguably at the this best. particular point in time, though, that's the next immigrant wave. So I mean, the Irish were back in the uh, uh, middle to late uh, 18s, and now we're in the 19th century and. You know, the, the Italians were, were downplayed. They're the, the next immigrant wave. So you're the, the well, dirty Italians. And they're coming in with, uh, there, there's an anarchist thing going on too with Sacco and Vanzetti. So as much as you want to say that, I believe we even said it too, that uh, uh, Vanzetti was innocent, uh, Sacco was dirty. I think that was the quote. Mm. Maybe I'm mixing the two of them up. But those two guys wound up getting the electric chair due to their involvement with uh, bombings that were going on. So now you have this idea of this new immigrant wave is coming in and they're up to no good and they don't want to learn the language. And they're uh, they're involved with organized crime. And the ones that aren't involved in organized crime, they're anarchists. They're trying to overthrow the government. They're terrorists. Yeah, we're importing terrorists. There's them, the Scoleri brothers, Christian Cortez. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's crazy what was all going of, on. All of them. Right. No good. Back, a lot of them. And back in Europe. Uh, the Italian uh, Italy itself is is um, just a shit show because of all mm -hmm. the things that are going on there with the anarchy that's going on there. I mean, all of Europe is. I mean, we're we're leading up to the uh, to the First World War, so things are uh, heating up. Yeah, or the, the Great War. So uh, our boy Richard James Hart. He does take on the last name Hart over here by this time. He's working very hard to lose this Brooklyn accent, and he does his damnedest to hide his Italian heritage. Yeah, he was he was telling people that uh, he certainly would not admit to being um, um, an Italian immigrant from Brooklyn. So he was going with the story that he's actually from Oklahoma, and his <laughs> his physical features were more that of uh, possibly Mexican or Native American or something along <laughs> those lines, which would be more acceptable um, 
out west, out in where he kind of, kind of just drops. Well, they'd at least sight. seen a Mexican for. They ain't never seen no Italians, Larry. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> where are you from, Oklahoma? No, I'm from uh, Ohio. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but again, around this time, they're not seeing it. So he's hiding it for a couple of reasons. Number one, to fit in easier. And then number two, to not have to get lumped in with some of the negative stereotypes that were coming about that next immigrant wave. So if the more you watch and listen to history, the more every immigrant wave comes over here and there's always some good stereotypes and bad stereotypes that get thrown at them. It's just what happens. Yeah. No, nobody at the time is really traveling around with their own uh, bio that uh, you can hand somebody your resume as to what's going on. I mean, you're just- Are you saying you could bullshit, Dad? Yeah, you could. And a lot of the facts that we have, like many of our um, previous losers- we're going by uh, his life story, by what he has <laughs> regaled. So, you know, he's making up his own his own background kind of a thing. A thesis on Calamity Jane, written by Calamity, Calamity Jane. Jane. There you go. Creative control, Calamity Jane. <laughs> um, interesting that you would say that, Dad, because uh, Hart would later claim to have joined the American Expeditionary Forces and served in France during World War I. Yeah, before we uh, before we go further with that though, that that um, storyline was really by Hart himself. That he just kind of falls off a, a train in uh, Homer, Nebraska. So he's no longer with the circus. Say, so yeah, <laughs> there you go. That he <laughs> I didn't know they named the town after him, but anyhow. Um, he just shows up in Homer, Nebraska, and who is this guy? Well, he's he's looking for work, as many people are, um, and you know he's uh, a power, a short in stature, but he's powerfully built, uh, black hair, dark eyes, dark complexion, prominent nose. So many believed he was an Indian or Mexican blood within him, but uh, he certainly wasn't letting anybody know that he was. Uh, an Italian fellow from uh, from Brooklyn, um, you know, and he's telling people that he was originally from Oklahoma and was uh, had jobs uh, punching cattle and uh, bronco busting and uh, you know chasing after bad men and everything else. And he does admit that he was traveling around the country uh, with the circus, um, but he also claims that he enlisted. Uh, and went to a fight in the Great War with the American Expeditionary Forces and was promoted from a private to a lieutenant. <laughs> so, I mean, for those who don't know, that's, that's a pretty quite good jump. That's, that's a pretty good jump. Yeah. You usurped all the other enlisted ranks and gone right to a commissioned officer and not the beginning rung of the commissioned officer. Yeah, and America wasn't in the First World War for that long period of time like the rest of Europe was. But uh, yeah, he's promoted. He, he claims that he was promoted from a private to a lieutenant and had been decorated by none other than General Jack, Black Jack Pershing. Uh, for bravery and his sharpshooting feats. Uh-oh. So, so the most uh, famous guy. He's, yeah. he's claiming that he is, he is, you know, uh, an absolute badass. Um, and he's given his military history, if you will, to the local, uh, I think it was the, uh, the American, uh, Legion. American Legion. Yep. <laughs> American <laughs> Legion. So they're saying, hey, yeah, come on, you know, you can, you can join up with the American Legion and, uh, um, shortly after being in Homer, Nebraska, there's a major flood in one of these nearby towns. And 
um, our man, uh, two gun, he doesn't have, he doesn't really carry the, the, the handle two gun just yet. But, uh, you know, everybody's kind of liking him. He's a personable kind of a guy, but there's this flood in a nearby town and he jumps into this raging torrent and saves this little girl from drowning. And not only does he save the little girl from drowning, but then he jumps back in again and saves uh, a Her family, uh, you know, <laughs> a winch, uh, the Winch family. And now the Winches um, were a popular local grocer, and he saves the rest of the – or saves the entire family from this raging torrent. And uh, Winch had a 19-year-old daughter, Kathleen, and she's so smitten with her savior that uh, – she ends up marrying her. So, okay. They okay. So he marries. Um, he marries the girl that he rescued. Obviously, that's a pretty great. That's a meet cute moment for Kahuna as a filmmaker. Here's a meet cute. I'm going to rescue you from drowning. Anyway, I got to go. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and then in the with that, I mean the uh, the American Legion honor him by electing him commander of their post. Uh, the town council appoints him marshal. Uh, and the county sheriff issues uh, uh, issues the the proper paperwork for him to become a deputy. So you know, a deputy on the county level. So deputy too. Now all of a sudden he goes from circus roustabout, um, you know, this uh, to local Brooklyn-born guy to local celeb, and he's he's now the uh, the local marshal and the county uh, uh, sheriff's deputy. And you know why I like this guy so far, KP? Keep going, keep going, keep going. You'll appreciate this. He even <laughs> he's even appointed by the Boy Scouts of America as the district commissioner for their organization. Holy crap. So Are you he, serious? He is a shining light, man. Hey, guy was a lieutenant in the army. He served uh, in France uh, with the American Expeditionary Force. He saved the saved that whole family from drowning. Uh, I've got this a guy. I've this got guy a is here. this guy is way cool right you know kp this guy is the first youtuber he had the viral video he <laughs> saved the family and now he's Ooh. just riding the the coat whale the coattails of his uh Stardom. of his success yeah yeah so instead of uh chocolate rain he's just two guns yeah he's <laughs> two guns <laughs> yo welcome to, welcome to my channel people i'm two guns i just saved this family from a fucking flood this is too hard here do me a favor just go ahead and smash that like button <laughs> he's the Oh, I like this dude so far. Well, he, there's a lot of admirable things. I mean, most of this stuff is is uh, relatively provable here. Now, interestingly enough, though, Dad, um, he did claim to have served in the Great War. And unfortunately, um, well, it's, it was kind of revealed that maybe there was some bullshit afoot here. <laughs> some, yeah. some embellishment. Yeah. We can't seem to find any records. The American Legion, by the way, these nice people out in Homer, Nebraska are saying, we can't find any records that you served at all. Um, can you help us out here, man? Like, I don't think they hated him. No, they, they liked him. His, his star continues to rise. Um, and really the, the big kicker. So now he's, he's a local marshal, right? He's a, a, a county uh, deputy sheriff. Um, but something that was key to his further rise in uh, stardom, if you will, on January 16th, 1919, uh, big date for the old United States, because that's when uh, we decided uh, with the 18th Amendment to the Constitution that uh, you're not allowed to manufacture or uh, sell intoxicating liquors. <laughs> 
Prohibition, baby. Prohibition, baby. All right. The Volstead Act, of which President uh, Woodrow Wilson vetoed, but uh, they came back and uh, overrode his veto. And uh, the Volstead Act is now a statute uh, for the enforcement of prohibition. So now it's no longer legal to manufacture or sell hard liquor. And we got to have somebody to... Uh, we got to have somebody to enforce that. And the Volstead Act gave. That is the weaponizing gave, arm of prohibition. Right, right. Prohibition was like, hey, you can't have liquor. And like, well, what are you going to do to enforce it? And right. like, oh, we got the Volstead Act, which means armed guys can now come smash your shit up, put you under arrest, give you heavy fines. You know, there's a lot of similarities to prohibition and then um, uh, marijuana crackdowns and stuff like that as it's slowly starting to get, you know, uh, more and more legal. I mean, uh, it is wild. It's, uh, you know, it used to be if, if you smell pot smoke or something like that, that, you know, you could be troublesome now with the vapes and everything it's just oh this whole concert spicking cookies at the same time that's so weird <laughs> um but keep going sir yeah so i mean with the with the volstead act now the authorities need all kinds of agents to help enforce this law and uh, our boy richard hart um of homer nebraska immediately uh puts in his his application for it and uh, in the summer of 1920, uh, Nebraska governor um, um, accepts his application and Hart receives his official commission as da -da -da -da, prohibition agent. So, he's, so he is now, he, he's and, the and where's he going to go deal with this prohibition stuff, Dad? There's a couple of locations that he winds up at. And by the way, one other thing too, um, one of his younger brothers who we'll cover here later on um, also supposedly lied about serving in World War One or the Great War, as it would have been known, claiming to have served in the Lost Battalion. Yeah, I guess he was looking for those vets, those vet uh, <laughs> benefits, right? <laughs> yeah, I was looking for my brother. There's a I lot was of the embellishment in these guys' lives. Oh, uh, they're Italian. <laughs> <laughs> they're from Brooklyn and they're do bullshit artists. I mean, do we need to say more? My cousin. My cousin's coming over here and he's just going to drop you. He's you understand? Fuck no. you up. I get seen with respect. You understand? This girl, you never could have got this girl. Never. Never in a million years. <laughs> you talking to me? Oh, my God. I say this. Everyone has predicted I marry a bossy Italian lady any day now. So, um, But uh, Hart would, again, he, he's an interesting guy here. His brother seems to also have that kind of a, a vibe going here. But again, we'll bounce back to him and eventually here. Um, Two-Gun will eventually start using the nickname Two-Gun, right? And keep in mind, he is now a federal prohibition agent that is a legal law enforcement officer. And he is donning cowboy apparel. Much like he's on his way, like he's almost dressed like Roy Rogers on his way out to go, you know, enforce these liquor laws, which, mind you, um, first of all, it is legit law enforcement work. There's absolutely always danger involved with that, whether it be at a low level, like um, a lower level, I should say, of risk, like something as simple as a, a, a national park guard or something like that, or even as crazy as like, hey, I'm a DEA agent and I'm undercover with a cartel. There's levels of danger to law enforcement, but his is not on the low end. It's not exactly on the high end either, but he's certainly dressing the part of this guy's a cowboy. He's he's taking away people's booze. There's some anger involved. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's not a problem. There's some automatic built-in oh, yeah. anger. Some there. people are saying, well, he's he's the avenging angel, but other people are saying, hey, this guy's got to go because so he's, he's cracking going down on people who got the right. sipping liquor. And right. He's cracking down on the people that are making liquor to sell it to other people so that they can have sipping. He's trying liquor. to take away my road But he, he wastes no time. I mean, once he uh, is uh, officially um, this prohibition agent, he starts raiding all these... Uh, 
various stills in and around uh, Nebraska. And uh, he's making a name for himself. Um, he's starting to, uh, as they say, raid some of these stills and he uh, starts making some significant arrests. He's got um, he's got balls. He's got <laughs> yeah. balls. And I'm for, uh, so he's What's that? Uh, Richard Richard James Hart to Hart. Hart. Yep. Hart. H-A-R-T. It should be Richard. Mind your own business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he starts uh, he's he's good at what he does and he's finding where these various stills are because now people are. If they weren't moonshining before, now that prohibition is here, I got to get my booze somehow or other. So oh, they it, are it, now. You know, <laughs> yeah, they are now. So they're they're you know doing all the the uh, the home brew and uh, creating the stills out in the out in the woods and stuff. And, but unfortunately, some of the arrests, um, some of these foremost uh, foremost citizens, right? Some of these bigwigs are also getting arrested. So, you know, it's not just the, the, uh, it's not just the, 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 the poor guy. Yeah. It's not just some poor yeah, by a redneck cowboy. moonshiner that, uh, to keep in mind, because again, he lives so many lives here. I just want to back up for one second, dad. So now he's arresting the bigwigs out there for prohibition because he's a federal agent, a federal prohibition who dresses like an American West cowboy who is really a Italian kid who grew up in Brooklyn that was born in Salerno, Italy. Right. That's okay. about it. So that's, oh, and by the way, he does get kicked out of his American Legion. They, they do remove him. From uh, that, that, that doesn't happen until a little so later they, on. But, but I uh, did want to just mention that, that they did, they were able to say, hey, you weren't actually, you know, so his service has been called into question here. Yeah. So, I mean, with some of these arrests, um, uh, you know, he's definitely making a name for himself and he's getting some play in the, uh, in the newspapers. Oh, and, interesting. uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's getting some, uh, he's getting known, um, statewide, um, to the point where, um, some of the officials at the, uh, Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs, um, the uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs, uh, has their own law enforcement. And um, they are looking to tap Hart to come out and kind of keep uh, keep law and order in the uh, in the reservations at the same time. So again, a guy with a fantasy his entire life of being a cowboy, and the cowboys out west, especially in the 1920s silent films, who did they fight, Kahuna? They fought oh, black hat cowboys, and then you would always play cowboys and Indians, right? Yeah. So now, old Two Gun Hart is now again a boy from Italy. Uh, is now an active law enforcement agent working for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Dad, you said that so casually. For the average <laughs> listener that doesn't know, yeah, what is the Bureau of Indian Affairs? The BIA is not a not a uh, an organization or a federal program that uh, is real popular with uh, our Native American brothers. Uh, I would imagine <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, Originally, it's one of the oldest federal agencies. It was originally set up way back when, in like 1775. So at the country's founding, um, they set up this federal agent. Jefferson had big dreams for this. And then he also wrote um, some of his letters on like Logan's Lament and stuff. I read, I did heavy reading on this for a class at Brookdale on Native American studies. And you can see how it happens all the time. The government creates something with good intent. And then it kind of just goes to shit. Right. So right. The, the BIA being a, a firm uh, proof of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you need uh, to paint a, a bad picture for uh, 
federal programs that have failed miserably. I think you can start with, uh, with the Bureau this. of Indian Affairs. Oh, um, God. But again, it was originally started back in 1775. And the first one, the first head of the BIA, or what was known as the Committee on Indian Affairs back Drum then, roll, please. was Ben Franklin. So <laughs> we've got some heavy hitters right from the get-go. But, you know, we've always had, quote, unquote, the Indian problem or the Native problem uh, right from the get-go well when you're trying to take somebody's land away from them they might they might have some words for you you know yeah. um but in he's this particular papers right now he's so happy folks what's that he's wrestling papers oh, and oh he's yeah so there proud. We go. <laughs> hey i did my homework um but you know the bia the bureau of indian affairs had ups and downs backs and forths different programs different ideas different philosophies through the years but in this particular time frame with our boy Hart, um there would the idea was that we're going to assimilate the the, the native americans that we're gonna we're gonna take away their language their practices their cultures and we're going to make them white people you know, we're, gonna, we're gonna make them white men. Kaluna, question uh, and, for you. And, and we gotta, we have actually a real good uh, previous episode. Yes, we do. With, I want to see if he can know it. It's get out before it's get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, a guy who referred to himself as "I'm just a poor Indian boy" who went on to do some pretty amazing things. He was, uh, I think, he was Irish, French, and uh, Native American. Uh, we had to do a two-parter on him. Went to uh, school at the Carlisle Indian Industrial School. Mark Riccadonna was the guest. <laughs> he's got a town name. He's one of the greatest athletes there's, in American but history. But here's the thing. There's two episodes of Mark that I didn't sit in on. I, You were here for this because you had to put out a fire because we went way, way long and a podcast that's no longer here was uh, <laughs> they, they left. Um, <laughs> okay. But here's the great. That's probably why I don't remember because I was just horrified the entire recording. <laughs> well, here's the best part though. Ready? I'll give you the good, the great hint. The Carlisle Indian School that my father's talking about, this idea of assimilation. It's his name. It, it's the name. All this guy did. I, first of all, he, he's world-class athlete, one of the most famous athletes in the history of humankind. Okay. Um, and all we gave him was a lousy town in Pennsylvania. Oh, that he had nothing. To, that he had nothing to do with. Nothing to do with. Nothing to do with. And there's like a statue there too. Like, yep. th- oh that, my God. It used to be called Mock Chunk, which is where the Molly Maguires operated out of, which oh, is where I'm- I'll be featuring for Robert Kelly in May. Ah. <laughs> but and, what's it? You know, they had ah. hopes of burying him there, but uh, that never really came to be. All right. Uh, let's help him out. No, a just, yeah, just tell me. What is it? Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Oh, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah, well. Ah. He's an early example of this idea of assimilation by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Right. So the Bureau of Indian Affairs thought that the best thing to do for the Native Americans is to take their kids from them and put them in boarding schools hundreds of miles away from wherever the rest of the family is. So they put them into boarding schools and they're um, no longer allowed to use their own native language, their practices, their cultures. And another example of this assimilation um, was that the Bureau of Indian Affairs was going to provide the tribal police force, which was designed by its agents to decrease power from the local American Indian leaders. So you got your tribal police force. So we need a police force at the reservations. Um, and who are you going to call? <laughs> Oh, no. James Hart. Two-gun Hart. Two-gun Hart. Folks, coming in hot. And it was actually, now he's traveling around from 
uh, Indian reservation to Indian reservation, again, going after bootleggers. And he's, he's doing a great job of it. To his credit, he does learn a lot of the native languages and stuff. And they, he's actually um, kind of adopted into some of their uh, some of their tribes. But again, you got to realize was when- Tikkuris. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great joke. Why is everyone being quiet? That's a great joke. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh at the mic, you dick. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, but he does get involved in the, uh, the the local affairs. He's also bringing in wanted people as well. Um, his his legal uh, law enforcement record, I should say, um, I believe they were able to confirm that. It was at least 20, confer- or 20 of his arrests were wanted killers. Is that right, Dad? Yeah, mur- uh, murders and uh, um to be going after a uh, a murder suspect on the reservation, uh, you know, that was, that was a whole different um, type of criminal because they got nothing to lose. The one, uh, the one particular guy that he goes after was shot his wife. His wife leaves him for some. some Her name was with talk, a, too much. <laughs> yeah, talk too much. Talk too much. I'm so well, sorry. Well, this guy was a, a, a prominent, well-to-do, rather wealthy uh, Native American, and his wife leaves him, and he swears that if she ever comes back, he's going to kill her. Two years later, she does come back. He pumps four shots into her, leaves her dead, grabs his rifle, a box of ammunition, and just takes off into the into Hills. the vast unknown. Jesus. And uh, old Jimmy Hart go, <laughs> goes after him, knowing that you know this is not going to be an easy uh, an easy capture. But he does capture him, um, brings him to justice. I think um, he had such balls because number one, he was believing that he was his childhood hero in in Two Gun uh, um, Hart. You know what I mean? So he believed that. And then also I, I'm willing to bet this, that there's such a feeling of the, when you see the um, stolen valor people, because I've met people that lie about their military service and it is such an emptiness that they have in their heart, that they have this need to be seen that way at all times. So now uh, to two gun hearts credit, did he fight over in Europe? Was he given awards by black Jack Pershing? Probably not. Almost, almost for sure. Not. But he has to make right on that. It's almost a little bit of like a 310 to Yuma kind of a thing where he has to show you. He goes, well, you know, I, I was a coward in this thing that I did, but I'm going to be a hero in this thing. So pretty wild that he's got the balls to go pull these things off. And then also, like I said, it's combining the idea that he is becoming his childhood hero. So he is committed to this, what we would call now cultural appropriation of a, uh, a guy from Italy, uh, a first generation immigrant from Italy. Uh, becoming a hero of the American West. So <laughs> it's pretty wild here. Um, LP, what else do you have? Because I, I do want to eventually get into him reuniting with some family later on. All right. Well, uh, we can we can certainly get that. But I mean, th- no, he, he, he's, the, he's the real deal. I mean, he's going after these bootleggers and murderers and everything else. Uh, and he's making a name for himself uh, around, uh, not only around Nebraska, but he's he's getting some national acclaim, if you will. The superintendent of the reservation uh, reports to Washington that, that this man Hart is a real go-getter. So, I mean, he's he's doing some positive work. Um, uh, and again, he wasn't just all bluff that um, there was one capture that he made where he catches this guy uh, bootlegging and catches him with the still, like a hundred gallon still. To make and, uh, some sort of a, you know, 
again, probably, let's be honest, it was probably either whiskey or some sort of hooch. We'll use yeah, he's a, he's a bootlegger. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, he captures this guy and the, the bad guy says, well, if you weren't wearing those guns, uh, there'd be a different story. And with that, he takes his guns off and proceeds to get into a fist fight with the guy and beats the shit out of him and sends him, sends him to the hospital. So, <laughs> you know, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't all bluff. Um, I have a casting couch for this. I'm excited. But there was no that you do yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait wait on it. Wait till you we get to the end here. Um but there are some instances that where things kind of go the wrong way. Uh in 20 in 1923, um he's going after this uh Nebraska uh bootlegger and uh he, the bootlegger is selling booze to the uh, Winnebago Indians, one of the Indian tribes in and around that area. Um, the bootlegger jumps into the car and starts you know, riding away, trying to escape capture kind of a thing. And old two-gun heart, just like you see in the movies, is now shooting at the guy while he's standing on the running board of the of the uh, pursuing vehicle, <laughs> right? Some, but one of his deputies or somebody else is driving, but he shoots. Now, he later claims that he was attempting to shoot out the tires on the fleeing vehicle. Well, he shoots the driver and kills him. And the driver happened to be a, a, a young guy um, – that had like a seven-year-old kid, and I guess he the was the getaway driver. Uh, the get, yeah, the getaway, the the bad guy trying to get away is shot and killed. So he didn't quite shoot the tires out; they shot the driver out. Uh, I mean, he's played dumb games. A crime, right? Where death should be on the table. That, and now, that yeah, the morality yeah. issue. Oh, he the, the guy that he killed was a well-liked uh, young man, a young a mechanic, married, and the father of a seven-month-old uh, kid. And uh, old two-gun heart now is um, charged with, with murder himself, um, stands before, the, goes to trial and everything else. Whoa. And again, there's, there's a lot of people that who are opposed to prohibition, right? <laughs> I want my booze and this guy is doing whatever he can to take my booze away from me. So he's not a real popular guy with one large faction. But again, he's a hero to others, um, especially the um, the uh, the people that are trying to the the Women's Christian Temperance Union. We we've spoken to them in the uh, in previous episodes too. They were the ones that were really trying to the promote for United National uh, Temperance. I believe was another name for them. Um, that uh, these are the people that were actually responsible for the Eighteenth Amendment even being passed to uh, put prohibition on the books so anyhow back and forth um he is uh he he uh is found guilty but serves a, a menial uh um, penalty if you will um but uh, he's his his shine is starting to come off he's not the the glamorous guy that uh, a lot of people thought he was but after he shoots this one guy um and Damn. you know things things were not at that particular point things are pretty much on a downslide and yet i don't know if we should get into this but i think it's 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 necessary if you will um go for it there's a there's a different president now too that the guy that's in washington that's in the white house is uh, president calvin coolidge 
uh, one of the coolest dudes right now. Uh, Coolidge was also very popular because he was able to break the Boston police strike when he was, I believe, governor of Massachusetts. So he's a big law and order candidate kind of a guy. So if there's a guy that he's going to wind up liking, you'd think maybe Two Gun Heart would be a guy after his own heart here. Yeah, pun intended. I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, and I, Calvin Coolidge, they called him Silent Cal. He was he was kind of a, a maverick himself because he only got into the White House because the who curse shot of who, Tip Kevin? the Canoe. Well, then no, I thought Coolidge went in for um, McKinley. No. No, when McKinley died, it was Teddy Roosevelt. Warren G. Oh, Harding died Harding. in office and Calvin Coolidge took over. Uh, you're right. Yes. My bad. I'm getting my presidents mixed it's up. It's still Tippecanoe, though. You were correct. Okay. Loserception. Loserception. But anyhow, Calvin Coolidge comes into office. He didn't really run for president. He was vice president, becomes becomes president, um, is known as Silent Cal, and he breaks the mold as far as um, presidents um, that uh, – he wants to get out of Washington for like the summer White House. We've heard that term before that um, used to be Long Branch, New Jersey, <laughs> used to be Long Branch, New Jersey, True story. used to be uh, up in Maine or up in uh, up in Massachusetts. I mean, there were a lot of presidents would do whatever they could to get the hell out of Washington because Washington is a, was built on a swamp. So it's really not a pleasant place to be in August. Um, they tried temperature wise. And this is also before air conditioning and everything else. Calvin Coolidge breaks the mold and he goes to the Black Hills of South Dakota. Deadwood. Deadwood. All right. And um, they need bodyguards for that. And he is, Hart is chosen to be one of the group of uh, outstanding Western lawmen uh, who are specially commissioned to as bodyguards. To be clear, to, to be clear, Coolidge. this is outstanding Western lawmen, Dad. <laughs> right. Outstanding Western, uh, prohibition agents who have worked on Indian reservations, who claim to have fought in the Great War, who are also Italian kids that grew up in Brooklyn and ran away and joined the there circus when they were 16. What a freaking life this guy, Richard Two-Gun Hart, has lived. Absolutely. Keep going. <laughs> Uh, and there's, there's uh, kind of famous pictures of Coolidge standing with uh, Native Americans in a full feathered bonnet uh, uh, headdress kind of a thing that Calvin Coolidge actually claimed that he had uh, Native American blood within his uh, his bloodline, if you will. So, you know, th th that's another uh, perhaps another episode just on Calvin Coolidge with some of the things that he did or didn't do um, during his term in office but uh um you know hart is still thought of enough that he's going to be guarding the president so um you know he, he can't be uh he can't be all bad even if he is shooting up bad guys again he married a local girl that he uh, rescued he had four kids with her i mean he was well thought of for a long time in the american legion um he was well thought of he was people were hearing about him back in dc for his efforts here as a law enforcement officer he had become the wild west hero of himself he made a name for himself now his youtube channel is doing really well it's a <laughs> like and subscribe um two gun like you said dad is now also helping to protect and guard the president of the united states when coolidge and his family were out in the black hills two gun was prolific in his law enforcement endeavors and uh again it's pretty pretty crazy over here because again prohibition is highly unpopular and uh you know often those who would maybe be taking away the alcohol as kahuna keeps saying would be considered the bad guys and people who were providing the alcohol, they might be seen as good guys or heroes. And there's a couple of routes. I mean, there's some big names that are coming through. Um, Boardwalk Empire kind of talks about this too. 
Arnold Rothstein is coming into the picture. Uh, Lucky Luciano is coming into the picture. There's a lot of big names that are coming in here. And then get this. So even though Richard Two Gun Hart's name is showing up in the papers and he's making a nice life for himself or a career for himself and, and this kind of legacy about him that he is finally this old West cowboy he's been trying to be his entire life. Everything he ever dreamed of, he's kind of went out and just turned himself into that. And all of a sudden he starts reading in the papers about a couple of kids from New York that are getting into trouble uh, in the bootlegging business. Who are now making these moves out into the Midwest, almost like he did. He chose Nebraska. These guys are choosing Cicero, Illinois, and they seem to be uh, operating under this idea of known as the Chicago outfit. So those brothers that we were talking about earlier, that Richard Two Gun Hart walked away from, they're some interesting guys. They got names like Ralph, Frank, and Al. Holy, wait a minute. What? <laughs> We've yeah, been you got it for a week. <laughs> what? Correct. This dude is Al Capone's brother? This is Al Capone's oldest brother. No. It's a, is a rifle carrying cowboy rootin' tootin' son of a bitch out west. <laughs> he's a prohibition agent, Kahuna. He's a, Kahuna got to be living. He's out. Kahuna left. <laughs> he's jumping out the window. He's opening the window. Oh, oh Lord. Man. Come back. Good <laughs> God. <It's> a, <laughs> Kahuna stepped out, folks. Uh, just to clarify, we did not embellish what? any of this. <laughs> uh, Kahuna did not embellish any of this. Stranger than having our show interrupted by the Jewish Beach Boys at the Bellworks is this true life story <laughs> that Richard James Tugunhart, his biological born given legal last name was Capone. He was a Capone and he helped his brothers out by getting when they got into a little bit of a tiff and he then ran off uh, and joined the circus and became a nationally known cowboy. And now he's reading in the paper about his brothers that are seemingly becoming the underground kingpin gangsters of the bootlegging movement that he's trying to stop out on Indian reservations out west. Yeah, you know, like Scarface, Al Capone, the I feel uh, like Valentine's Day Massacre. Yeah, that Capone. I feel like I just got to the end of a movie where you just realize they've been planting like seeds of this throughout the <laughs> entire, like, I feel like the, I'm near the end of the usual suspects. And the I'm Kaiser says they do for sure. Well, I, oh my God. Yo, I'm so glad you left that till the end. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. So now no way. he's working as the, this one cracks me up the most. He's working as a bootlegger. Uh, I'm sorry, Al Capone's working as a bootlegger. Work, he's now literally the kingpin of organized crime, the underworld, if you will. Yes. La Cosa Nostra, whatever you want to call it. He is mob royalty, arguably the most famous gangster of all time. I mean, there's kids. Everyone knows Al Capone's name. Yeah. Everybody. It's a great battle rap. And now, <laughs> and now Two Gun Heart is sitting there and he goes, Oh my, what are, what have you guys been getting up to since I've been away? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And actually this whole thing didn't really come to light until the fall of 1951. That they were related? Yeah. That uh, actually the federal government bought uh, tax evasion charges against Ralph Capone. Not, uh, Al has already served uh, time um, for his tax evasion uh, beef, but uh, now Ralph Capone is... Uh, the federal government's bringing uh, tax evasion charges against Brother Ralphie, and uh, uh, the defense attorneys subpoenaed Richard Hart to testify on behalf of uh, old Ralphie Boy. And when the newspaper reporters got hold of that man, that's when they first time they learned of the sibling relationship between uh, Two Gun Hart and the Capone brothers. 
the bootlegging, the speakeasy days, the roaring 20s, you know, machine guns, yeah. St. Valentine's Day massacre and all that shit. <laughs> he looks like, uh, I pulled up a picture just because now I wanted to, <laughs> but he looks like, he looks like Curious George's owner. The man with the big yellow <laughs> yeah, hat. But instead is the big white hat. So it, This it, is fucking hilarious. It's very inappropriate here. So we're going to read for, I got to give a shout out real quick too. We have a couple listeners that are always amazing to us. Uh, our girl, Chelsea, uh, Pinnell, I think is how she says her name. She's great. Um, awesome comedy fan. Great human being. Patreon member too, folks. For as little as $3 a month, you get a whole bonus episode here exclusive, okay? We give you three free a month and you have to pay for the last one. Boils down to less than a dollar a show, all right? But Chelsea had offered in a very difficult um, couple of topics we covered, like Harlem Hellfighters or Marcus Garvey, we were very careful about the words that we were trying to say because they were words that were acceptable for the time. And Chelsea, who happens to be uh, black or a woman of color, uh, told me, she goes, you guys just tell me when to say it and I'll go ahead and say that stuff for you. On the <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, hilariously enough, um, I will say this. It's uh, we got to wrap this bad boy up. Um, but uh, it, it nothing's going to make me laugh harder uh, than the idea that my my grandfather, from what my dad tells me, used to call the show The Untouchables, <laughs> yeah. Guinea Gunsmoke. <laughs> That's right. So that was the Italian yeah. Western was Guinea Gunsmoke. Robert Stack did a TV show um, called The Untouchables that was based on uh, the law enforcement officers of the of the Prohibition era. Yeah. And then there was either, a movie, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so- but, It was either, uh, it was The, the Untouchables- in the house that I grew up in, <laughs> again, the time for the times, um, it was either known as Guinea Gunsmoke or Cops and Wops. <laughs> that was common terminology of the, of the day. But who embodies the concept of Guinea Gunsmoke more than a boy born in <laughs> Italy, raised in Brooklyn, who joined the circus and became a Wild West outlaw, all while his brothers are the Capones ruling Chicago's underworld with an iron fist. We have nothing else to say on the topic, folks. Please enjoy that one. Lawrence Patrick, thank you so much for your all your research on this one. If you had anything you can say real quick, hit him with it. No, this was just, uh, it was it was a fun episode. A mind fuck of a story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kahuna, thank you so much for your time here. Of course, thank you to Mike dude. and Ming at a Shared Universe podcast. Do you ever take great care of us here? This is one of my favorite episodes. It's uh, This one was a damn good one, man. Um, if you want to say your casting couch real quick, and then I know we got another show. So I got... So I had a goofy, I, I kind of have a goofy one, which is two, and then like a realistic one that I, that I would cast. So the, the two goofies are when you were describing him being kind of annoying for, for, uh, for lack of a better term towards, uh, prohibition people who were against that. I, I couldn't help but picture Wallace Shawn from from uh from Princess Bride. Inconceivable <laughs> as this dude for whatever reason. But then as the story went on and I put two or two together, then I was like, okay, I still want someone who's a little out there, but I feel like he could have actually done it. And I the other loony choice was Jim Carrey. Yeah. Perfect. I could have seen that. But then like as but then realistically, I was like, okay, this could actually make a really cool movie. Um but I'm going to butcher his last name. I think it's Timothy Oliphant. Oliphant. Yeah. Oliphant. He, he fits in nice with those roles. I think he could really do this as a really cool movie. <laughs> so, but yeah, those are my, that's my Kahuna's casting couch. I personally, I would like to see Jim Carrey do it. I think it'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I can see Jim. He likes to play dress up, right? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's just like, I think it's the, 
the expressions that he could do with his face could also do this justice. I I know that that's not required of this dude's story, but just the I just like you got to have a sense of humor to tell. You got to have right? a sense of humor, and I the way I would make it is it would be kind of like what's actually happening in reality versus the imagination that he actually sees it because he grew up wanting to be the the, the, right. the big bad cowboy so when he's doing these things he can't help but see in basically cowboy vision so i'm like oh my god that'd be hilarious yeah. <laughs> so yeah cowboy, that's it cowboy vision i like that it's a, it's a damn good one here. This was a very fun episode to do. Uh, thank you guys so much. If you're a new listener to the show, uh, feel free to help us out over on Patreon if you like. If you've already been doing so, we thank you because this show stops if you stop. So thank you so much. Guys, that was Richard James Two Gun Heart, Al Capone's brother, an American loser. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. Loser the day I was born. <laughs> <laughs>